Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. And the head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. And while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. And it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff in a threshing floor in the summer. And the wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. And you are the head of gold. And after you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. And next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. And finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it'll crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. And it will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. Hallelujah. What a great story that is found in the Bible, Daniel chapter 2. We're going to begin our month this month entitled Unstoppable Kingdom. We're going to talk about the kingdom. And you and I are part of that kingdom. And here is a dream. We understand, of course, this is talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of Babylon. And as the king of Babylon, he had a dream. And in his dream was this 
huge image of a man. So there's a huge image beginning with gold head and then the chest and the arms of silver and then the belly and the thighs of of bronze and then the legs of iron down to the feet that was a mixture of iron and clay. And his dream is the image of a man. The stream that he had is an image of a man. By the way, these uh, the sermon outline is available on the church app. You can get it from there. And his dream also not only is an image of a man, but his dream depicts the kingdoms of man and the kingdoms of this world. And these kingdoms are kingdoms established by man. And of course, here we see in this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, we see here a picture of man that is deified, man that is made to be like God. And we are currently living in the day and age of man. It's called humanism. As a matter of fact, in this day and age, we have gone so far as to push God out of the equation. And we have exalted man and made man to be like God. An age in which everything revolves around me, myself, and I. In other words, where I live, what I drive, and what I wear, and what race I'm from, and what language I speak, and what food I eat. That's the day and age that we're living in. And we've become so self-absorbed as a people all over the world. And this image of man with head, arms, chest, thighs, and legs, and feet, and toes depicts the kingdoms that were in uh, existence during Daniel, and then, of course, as we move towards the future. And it begins with the head, all right? So the head, he said, Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head, you are, you are that head. So the, the head that is gold actually represents the Babylonian kingdom. And family, we're going to unpack this in the weeks to come, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. But just to let you know that that first head, the gold, which represented Nebuchadnezzar, was the Babylonian kingdom. And of course, we know that gold was the most valuable of all commodities. And Babylon actually was known as the city of gold, all right? So... As a matter of fact, because Israel had been captured and taken into captivity, all the gold that Samuel had accumulated, or rather Solomon had accumulated in his day and age, was taken by the Babylonians, and that's why really they had all the gold, and they were known as the city of gold, all right? And then the arms and, and the chest, which is silver, is of course a less valuable commodity inferior to the gold, and it really shows the degeneration of that kingdom, the degeneration of man, but history will show that the next kingdom after the Babylonian kingdom was the Medes and the Persians, and we'll get to talk a little bit about that, but, but, but that's, that's what that next kingdom, and amazingly, this kingdom was known for its silver, all right, and it was the Medes and the Persians, the Medes under the rule of Darius and the Persians under the rule of Cyrus. And then we get to the belly and the thigh, and that was made of bronze, which again is less valuable. 
And history will show that the next kingdom that came into power after the Medes and the Persians was the Greek, and they were known as the Bronze Kingdom. They were known as the Brazen-Coated Empire, and they were experts with uh, molding gold, uh, bronze and doing all kinds of stuff with bronze, and they were under the rulership of Alexander the Great. And then you had the two legs that were made of iron, and again, there's a deterioration of the elements, man becoming less and less, although in his own eyes, he's becoming more and more like God. And again, history will show that after the Greeks came about the Roman Empire, all right? And uh, we know that the Romans were, in ex that, that empire endured for many, many years. And that's depicted by the length of those legs. The, the longest part of the body is the legs. And we know that the Romans were in power for many, many, many years. Um, the, the, the fact that there was two legs shows that in history, later on, the Roman Empire was divided into the Western Roman Empire and the Eastern Roman Empire. It was the very empire into which Jesus would be born round about B.C. 4 or 5. And this was the same empire. They were an empire of iron, so they, 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 were, they crushed, they subdued, they broke into pieces. I mean, everybody understood the power and the wrath and the anger of the Roman Empire. It was the Romans who basically uh, introduced execution to its criminals by crucifixion. So that's what that speaks about. And then the last kingdom that we see is the feet and the toes. The feet, of course, having something to do with the legs, part of the legs, so it's connected to the Roman Empire. And then, of course, the toes being the, the last part of the body uh, depicts the last kingdom that will be in existence. And, and it's 10 toes, so it will be a 10-kingdom empire which will be in existence and is in existence now and will be in existence when Jesus comes back again, all right? And I'll, I'll lay that out a little bit more and let you know who I believe that 10 kingdom empire is. But we know that the toes are separated. So in other words, you can read into that. There's a lot that we can glean. The toes being separate means it has the appearance of unity, but it is disunited. There's a mixture of clay and iron, and we know that clay weakens iron, and we know that clay is just simply earth that has been hardened, and of course, earth speaks of earthly, fleshly, carnal. So here, this lost kingdom that we are actually living in right now, or that is in existence in this world, is really man at its lowest, man at its worst. And it appears to have the strength of iron, but in reality, will be brittle like clay when it is hardened. But I want you to understand that this is the kingdom that is now and has been established now, and it will be the kingdom when Jesus comes back again, who is the stone that is cut out of that mountain and has formed another kingdom. And I'm so glad, family, I've given you a bit of an intro, but I, I'm so glad that the dream does not stop there, that there is hope for you and I. If you go back to verse 34 in Daniel chapter 2, it says, while you were watching, a rock was cut out, 
but not by human hands. And it struck the statue where? On its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff in a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain. The rock that struck the statue, the rock, that's Jesus, that struck the statue became a huge mountain, filled the whole earth. That huge mountain is you and I. When you look at, the, at these scriptures, there can be no mistaking when you read these verses that the stone kingdom is actually the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And you and I are part of his kingdom. And God is busy setting up his kingdom. And when Jesus comes back again, when the kingdom of this world, the 10 kingdom empire, the kingdom of feet and toes, when that kingdom is set up, Jesus will come back again. Hallelujah. But you and I are part of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom that will never be destroyed. The kingdom of gold will be destroyed. The silver kingdom, which is the Medo-Persian, will be destroyed and the bronze, the Greeks, will be destroyed, and the Roman Empire, the, the iron, will be destroyed, and whatever kingdom is in the world right now that is a mixture of iron and clay will be destroyed, but the kingdom of God will never, you and I, will never be destroyed, and the kingdom of God will consume all the other kingdoms. Not only that, but the kingdom of God is a kingdom that endures forever and ever and ever and ever in Jesus' mighty name. So I want you to understand that here is a picture of all the kingdoms of the world, all the kingdoms of the earth, but God has his kingdom, and you and I are part of that kingdom. And I want to go now into the New Testament. There's a scripture that Paul gives in Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. And he says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. In other words, it's not a, a physical kingdom as such, although we're living in a physical world. But he said, it is of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. So I want to share with you three things about the kingdom, three things about you and I, because you're part of the kingdom. I'm part of the kingdom, hallelujah. Three things that are revealed about you and I as representatives of his kingdom, and of course his church is a subset of that kingdom. So the first thing is, he says that this kingdom of God is represented by righteousness. We're a people that have been made righteous, hallelujah. And 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him, in him, in who? In Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. You see, righteousness is not something that you bought or paid for, but this righteousness has nothing to do with us. Absolutely nothing, nothing, nothing whatsoever to do with us. In other words, no amount of money can buy it. Doesn't matter how much money you have, your money cannot buy righteousness. Not only that, but no amount of popularity can win it. You might have 300,000 
uh, you know, people on your Facebook page or whatever else make you very, very popular and you got a whole lot of Instagram followers, but no amount of popularity can buy you righteousness. I mean, you might have all the knowledge and have PhD degrees and be highly educated, but I'm here to tell you that no amount of intellectualism can achieve it. How does this righteousness come, Pastor? It comes as a result of the greatest miracle that you and I can ever experience or that can ever take place in the life of a person. What miracle is that? 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, therefore, if anyone, therefore, if anyone, anyone in the Greek means anyone, whether you're Italian, whether you're Greek, whether you're Zulu, whether you're Kaza, whether you're Venda, whether you are a Maori, whether you are an Indian from North America, whether you are part of the South American people, whoever you are, therefore, therefore, if anyone, anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, hallelujah. New creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. It's the greatest miracle that can ever take place, hallelujah. And when we leave the old, we come into the new. We leave the systems of this world. We leave the kingdoms of this world. And we enter the kingdom of God. And we enter into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, Pastor, how does this happen? Romans 10 and 9 tells us that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, that God has raised them from the dead, you will be saved. Hallelujah. This miracle is not reserved for just a few people, but for the, for the whosoever will have the faith to declare with their mouth and believe in their heart. Hallelujah. And it says, you will, you will, not might be, not we'll just have to take it up into heaven and have an AGM meeting and see what the board thinks of it. You will be saved. And I love 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins, then he who, God himself, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. From all unrighteousness. So one of the things of the kingdom of God that's depicted in you and I is the righteousness that is in Christ Jesus as long as we're in Christ Jesus, there is a righteousness that you didn't work for, didn't pay for it, didn't earn it, didn't deserve it, but because you simply came with a childlike faith and recognized that you were a sinner and away from God and you confessed your sins and you declared with your mouth that Jesus is my Lord and believed in your heart, you were born again. That's right, you were born again. You became a brand new creature a one of a kind, hallelujah. And my friend, that still today is the greatest miracle that can ever happen in the life of an individual. So he says the first thing is a righteousness. But then he says, number two, the kingdom of God is depicted by peace, hallelujah, peace. And I tell you what, man, we need peace today. We need peace in Durban. We need peace in KZN. We need peace in South Africa. We need peace in America. We need peace all over the world. Galatians 5 and 22 tells us 
that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and then forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. So actually, peace is a fruit of the kingdom of God. Peace is a fruit of the kingdom of God simply because, why? Your roots are in the kingdom. Would you lift your hands and say this after me right there at home? Uh, if I am a child of God, then my roots are in the kingdom. Say it one more time. If I am a child of God, then my roots are in the kingdom. Exactly that. Your roots are in the kingdom. Your roots are in Christ. My friend, if you are born again, your roots are not in your culture. Your roots are not in your ethnicity, what color skin you have. Your roots are not in the language that you speak. Your roots are not in the food that you eat, etc., etc. Your roots are in Christ. Your roots are in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And as with any tree, any tree you look at, you can never see the roots that are underground, but you will always see the fruit that is visible hanging on that tree. Hallelujah. And one of the amazing things about the peace that comes in the kingdom of God is found in Philippians 4 and 7. And Paul writes and says, and the peace of God, the peace that comes to those who are in the kingdom, the peace that comes to those who are born again, citizens of God's kingdom, is a peace which transcends all understanding. Even when nothing makes sense, you have peace. Even when you can't put an equation to what is happening round about you, you can't even put logic to it. God says, I'm going to give you peace right there. And it's a peace, he says, that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think it's incredible. Let me tell you, if you don't have peace, you're going to be on the peace of tranquilizers. You're going to be on the peace of some drugs. You're going to be on the peace of some alcohol. Something out there is going to give you peace. But let me tell you, that peace is short-lived. And how? You have to ask yourself this question. How is it possible for any kind of peace to surpass and transcend everything round about me when everything is pressing on against me and there's all doom and gloom out there? How is it possible? Simply because this peace of the kingdom is a supernatural peace. The supernatural peace because the kingdom is a supernatural kingdom and you and I are part of a supernatural kingdom that makes us, you, uh, you and I, as supernatural people. Hallelujah. You know, when you look at the Bible, one of the redemptive names of God in Scripture is Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom. If you look at the word Jehovah, Jehovah means the self-existent one. My goodness, try and, try and just wrap your brain around that. In other words, what God is saying, listen, to explain it, let me, it's, it's, it's a bit like this. Before time ever was, I was, and I still am. I, I live outside of time. 
and I didn't need anybody to help me come into being. That's what Jehovah means. He is the self-existing one. And he says, I am your Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who is my peace. Hallelujah. This great God who reveals himself to you and I as the manifestation of peace says, I'm not just peace to be a showpiece out there, but I'm going to be your peace in the middle of what you're going through, in the storm that you're going through right now. I'm going to be your peace. I think about Gideon as he was threshing wheat there on the wine press floor. And of course, the Amalekites were tormenting them and they were being invaded by the people of the East and all of that. And he feels so inadequate. Anybody out there feel inadequate right now? He feels like so alone. Anybody out there feeling so alone? Like you're just all by yourself, all by myself. Don't want to be, right? But you're all by yourself. That's how Gideon felt. And God was there with him, hallelujah. And God said, Gideon, don't worry. I'll be with you. In Judges 6 and 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I'm sure Gideon looked behind him and said, who's this man talking to? Are you talking to me? I'm from the least of the tribe. I'm from the least in my family. I'm actually the, the, the outcast in my family. Are you saying those words to me? And I hear God saying to you right now, I'll be with you. You are my mighty warrior. Hallelujah. And then when Gideon offered up to God an offering in verse 24, it says, so Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is peace. That is God revealed himself as Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who is your peace. Hallelujah. And you and I today have a shalom covenant with our God. We have a shalom covenant. And do you know, family, that there are many aspects that bring about a covenant. But one of the customs of blood covenants was the exchanging of belts. One of the customs was the exchanging of belts. And what did it mean when, if I entered into a covenant with Rylan here, he gave me the belt. It wasn't a belt that I just needed to wear over my belt. No, it wasn't speaking about that. It wasn't talking about a belt to wear. Is it a leather belt, a Gucci belt? But the belt represented the weapons that were attached to that belt. And as he would give me his belt, he's saying to me that the weapons that my belt carries are the weapons that I have for you. They're your weapons. I'm going to use my weapons to fight for you. All of the weapons that were carried on his belt, all of these weapons are in fact my weapons. This little knife is my weapon. And then this huge sword, it is my weapon as well. Hallelujah. And when there was an exchanging of belts in this covenant, all right, he gave me his belt. He was saying, I'm going to fight with you. I'm going to protect you with my weapons. My weapons are your weapons. If you run out of weapons, you can use my weapons. But I'm going to guard you. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to fight for you. Hallelujah. That's what it means. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 
Amen. Come on. Belts signified all the weapons that they carried. Isn't that amazing? You know, I think about Moses when he led the Israelites out of Egypt, and here they were now facing the Red Sea, mountains on either side of them, and behind them, the Egyptian army that was fast approaching. And all the Israelites began to complain, Moses, you should have left us in Egypt. We were better off in Egypt. But what does he do? Come on, in Exodus 14, 14. Come on, Moses says, no, 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 don't worry about it. We're not going back there. Uh-uh, what's past is past. Come on, God is doing something new. Hallelujah. Let's exercise our faith and push into the new. And he says in verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. Hallelujah. That's part of a, a blessing that you and I have being kingdom citizens, that God will fight for you. Hallelujah. And let me tell you, when God fights for you, everybody else loses. When God fights for you, everybody else loses in Jesus' name. And so there was righteousness, and there is a peace that comes with the kingdom of God. And thirdly, there's a joy. Hallelujah. And again, Galatians 5.22 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness. Come on. I said it before. As with any tree, you never see the root, only the fruit. Hallelujah. As with any tree, you never see the root, only the fruit. And that fruit again comes because my roots are what? In Christ. My roots are in the kingdom of God family. Again, my roots are not in my culture or anything else that's in the world out there. My roots, if 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, being born again is a reality, and I'm a brand new creature, my roots are not in some political party. My roots are not in some man-made systems in the world. My root is in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And then there's the manifestation of joy. You don't see the root, but you see the fruit. And I think that today we could do with a whole lot more joy, the fruit of joy. When the disciples came out of that upper room, come on, they were drunk. People looked at them and thought, these guys are drunk. They drank with wine in Acts 2.13. Some, however, made fun of them and said they had, they've had too much wine. I'm sure that they didn't come out of They're all morbid and so intense and so, you know, just we're trying to be religious and we've just had an upper room experience. We're trying to contain ourselves, Brother Jazz. You know, we're, we're just, we're, we're, we're unemotional. They came, they looked like they were drunk with wine. And part of that expression is joy. In Acts 13, 52, what it says, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, I'm believing and trusting for joy to break out in your homes. You say, Pastor, but you don't know what happened. You don't know the loss. You don't know the devastation. You don't know the suffering. Come on, that is happening right now. This is a supernatural joy, just like the peace is supernatural. It's a supernatural joy. Nehemiah 8 and 10 says, go and enjoy food, choice food and sweet drinks and send 
some to those who have nothing. This day is holy to your Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. I can't think about joy without thinking about Abraham and Sarah. You remember them in the book of Genesis? In chapter 12, God says, Abraham, come on, come out of your country. Come out of your father's house. Come out of your, your tribe. Come out and I'm going to make you something great, man. I've got something great for you. Here in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, you're, you're purposeless. But if you come out, I've got something great for you. And he tells him he's going to have children. And then, of course, as you read on into chapter 15, God appears to him and and Abram says, man, you, you, you said I'm going to have a child. The only guy that I've got is Eliezer of Damascus, who's part of my family. Is it going to be him? And God says, no, don't worry. It's not going to be him. It's going to be somebody that's coming out of your loins. And he takes him outside and, and says, see if you can count the stars. God was just stretching his faith. And I'm sure Abram's thinking, time's running out here. I'm like, I'm almost like a hundred. And then in chapter 17, he's like 100 years old now. And God reminds him, no, don't worry. I'm going to, the seed's coming out of you. You're getting old, I know, but the seed's coming out of you. And in verse 17, it actually says that Abraham began to laugh. He began to laugh. He's like crazy. I'm, I'm 100, Sarah's 90, and you're going to have a baby coming out of my loins and out of her womb. And he, and he begins to laugh. Hallelujah. He begins to laugh. And then in Genesis 18, when the angel comes and he's preparing food for them and the angel says about, about this time next year, Sarah is going to be with child. And Sarah's listening next door and she begins to laugh. <laughs> she, he laughed, now she's laughing. And he says to her, why are you laughing? No, I'm not laughing. Yes, you are laughing. And, uh, and, and so, and, and I, I believe that as she was laughing, that that laughter actually prepared her womb to receive the son of promise. Something good happens when you begin to laugh. Come on. Something good begins when you begin to overflow with joy. Hallelujah. I believe right now there's a joy welling up in your heart right now, in your marriage, right now. It might look with the natural eye. It might look bleak, but don't look with the natural. Look with the eye of faith and you'll begin to laugh. And sure enough, a year later, at about the same time, Sarah had a child. And you know what they called him? They called him Isaac. And what does Isaac mean? It means laugh. He laughs. Every time they saw Isaac, they laughed. <laughs> Every time they saw him walking, it was joy bubbling out of their hearts. Hallelujah! Joy is part of the manifestation of the kingdom. Hallelujah! Look at some scriptures here in Proverbs 17, 22. A cheerful heart is good medicine. Come on, we, we need our muti. We need to take a tablespoon of joy. In Psalm 16, 11, it says, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Whoever said coming into the presence of God is like dreary and gloomy and and just boring. No, there's joy in the presence of God. Hallelujah! Do you know what? That God is in the heavens and He's not like depressed. He's not looking at us with His face scrunched up. 
The Bible says, describes God as a laughing God in Psalm 2 and 4. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. Hallelujah. He laughs. Hallelujah. There is a joy that emanates from the throne room of heaven. When you die and you go into heaven, let me tell you, there's great rejoicing. There is joy. There's sorrow for us that have been left behind. A lot of us cry because the person left, but actually, where's, we're really crying. We don't know it yet. We're crying because we've been left behind. Do you get that revelation? The dead people that died go from the land of, of the dead to the land of the living. They go from where there's in the world no joy to a kingdom that is just full of joy. Hallelujah! The one who sits enthroned on his throne is laughing. He's not laughing at you and ridiculing you. But I want you to see a picture of God being a happy God. And then I want you to see yourself sitting on his lap and he's laughing and you're laughing and there's such joy. And as you begin to laugh, the pressures of this life begin to flow or fall off your life, off your mind, off your thinking. Every problem begins to dissolve because of the joy of the Lord. Hallelujah. The joy of the Lord. Right now, in your homes, wherever you're watching right now, I just sense the joy of God just coming upon you. Lord, let the joy of God, let the joy of God break through. Let the joy of the Lord be their portion. Man, I wish that you were here right now so that I could lay hands on you and pray for you. But you know what? Right there in your homes, just go ahead and receive that joy. Maybe your mind is telling you, I, 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 there's nothing for me to laugh about. There's nothing for me to be joyful. No, there's an anointing coming upon you right now. And it's an oil that we call the oil of gladness, not the oil of sadness, but the oil of gladness. Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness. And that oil is coming upon you right now. Right now, just receive it in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you're gonna turn mourning into laughter. You're gonna turn mourning into rejoicing, weeping, my God endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And I wanna thank you for the spirit of joy that comes right now, that you said out of our innermost belly shall flow rivers. And I'm praying and believing for rivers of joy. Joy, let the joy of God break every shackle of oppression. Let the joy of God break every area of heaviness. Every troubled area is flooded right now with the spirit of joy the river of joy, the river of joy that flows right now, the river of joy that ministers to every heart, the river of joy that right now ministers into every marriage, into every home. Let there be joy in that home. I declare peace in that home. I declare joy in that neighborhood. I declare joy right here in the city of Durban, joy in KZN, joy in South Africa, in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, before we go, righteousness, I said to you, simply comes as a result of the greatest miracle that is found in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. If anyone... If anyone, anyone means anyone. He said, but, 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 no, 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 don't. there's no buts. 
Anyone is anyone, irrespective of your gender, your race, your creed, your nationality, your language, irrespective of how you even conceive yourself to be. You think, well, I'm just not holy enough. I'm not righteous enough. I'm not, I'm not good enough. And maybe there's things that you've done that you know, and there's a voice saying, no, you don't deserve God's goodness. You don't deserve God's forgiveness. Everybody deserves God's forgiveness. Everybody. The cross is for everybody. The cross is for every single body. And right now, I'm believing that God's love is gonna be greater than the condemnation, the guilt. Where you're at, I want you to bow your head and say this prayer after me, Heavenly Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name. Just as I am with all of my faults, all of my failures, and all of my sin, and I ask you for forgiveness. I repent today, Lord, right now. Thank you for forgiving me, cleansing me, washing me, receiving me. This very moment, I receive eternal life and the forgiveness of all of my sins. I am born again. I'm your child. I belong to you, and I am a citizen of your kingdom. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Family, I know that we've gone a little bit longer than usual, but I do trust that you have enjoyed today's service. We're gonna unpack this in the weeks that come, talking about the various kingdoms and knowing all too well that you and I are part of the greatest kingdom, the kingdom of God. It's an unstoppable kingdom. Hallelujah. And it's exciting to know that there is a kingdom that is in existence in the world today, but you and I are part of a much bigger, much greater kingdom. And Jesus is coming back for you and I one day being part of that kingdom. Thank you so much for allowing us into your homes. Until next time, we love you. Goodbye and God bless you.